this has brought such joy to my face today. To be honest, um, my children are 18 and 19. They're not cute anymore. <laughs> Let's just be real. That's just a whole bunch of cuteness in one place. I, I, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you all for, for sharing your children with us today. And, Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the sounds of children singing. We thank you for the songs of faith. We thank you for your presence in every stage and age of our lives. And, and we thank you now as we come to seriously consider Holy Scripture. Because we know that you're going to have a dialogue with us. And so I ask now, Lord, that you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and make them wholly yours. That together, today, we might actively listen and critically think. So that we can grow in the radical love of Jesus who first loved us. All this I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're joining us today for the first time, or you've been here with us for a few weeks now, we're in a sermon series called Good and Beautiful Life. And um, I just want to recap just a little bit of each of the sermons. It's basically based on this principle that Christians are not always different from everyone else. But we ought to be, and we often are. So the first sermon in our series built upon this concept of our community identity with are we peculiar or just plain nuts? Yes, Christians are peculiar, and we're called to be enthusiastic about being peculiar. Sermon 2 was called Confidence in a Great Future. See, when the story of Jesus becomes the hope in our story, when we walk with Him, we can have confidence in a great future. Sermon number 3 was called A Space for Grace. We believe that Jesus is going to return soon, and so we pray that we can learn to love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Sermon 4 was called The Christ-Centered Community. It reminds us that we are not in competition with other churches. Despite our differences, we're called to be in fellowship and lift each other up as we build the kingdom of God together. And then last week, we considered the forgiveness absurdity. Forgiveness is a grace given, and it's a principle to be applied and learned, both personally and in a community. Now, today's sermon begins with an illustration I believe is appropriate for this time of year. It's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Few things in life make me more nostalgic than watching It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. This timeless Halloween classic, which aired in 1966, you know, the last century, when my own parents were 13. <laughs> yeah. That was, an, uh, that was an undercover old joke. Sorry. <laughs> this cartoon special has served many generations as a prelude to the trick-or-treating festivities of Halloween night. Even my own children at 18 and 19 just watched it the other night. And I can see vividly Linus and Sally sitting in the pumpkin patch awaiting the mythological great pumpkin to show up. And I love when Linus says about the pumpkin patch, their sincerity as far as the eye can see. Or I like it when Snoopy gets dressed as the World War I flying ace and he's battling the famed Red Baron. However, of all of the characters dressed up and ready for Halloween night, none is more special to me than Charlie Brown. Do you remember what his costume was? Well, he was a ghost who apparently had a little trouble with the scissors. 
Now, it wasn't until I was studying for this sermon that I realized that perhaps, just perhaps, Charles Schultz snuck in a faith metaphor by making Charlie Brown a holy ghost. I'm just saying, I mean, the pun was absolutely intended, but I wonder, right? Yes, I will do anything for a cheap laugh. Now, whether this is the case, what is certain from the cartoon is that it seems like Charlie Brown just can't do anything right. The Peanuts gang's often making fun of Charlie Brown because he so often messes up. Schultz paints a lovable, humble character in Charlie that appears, for the lack of a better word, broken. In fact, Charlie Brown is so broken that not even one of the homes at which he went trick-or-treating gave him candy. You remember how after each home, the Peanuts gang would stop to see what, what they received before going on to the next? I can hear them now. I got candy. I got a piece of gum. I got a popcorn ball. Charlie Brown would say, I got a rock. We often feel bad for Charlie Brown because of how well he wears his brokenness. The reality, however, is that all the other kids were just as broken as Charlie Brown. And and by broken, friends, I mean human. You know, with failures and flaws, dashed hopes and dreams, and the occasional victory, though Charlie Brown never does manage to kick that football. Have you ever noticed how Charlie Brown is kind when he faces both adversity and insults from his peer group? See, Charlie Brown is different. He's peculiar. His willingness to bear with others binds the whole Peanuts gang together in community. When I think about what it means to be a Christian, I think about the two words that really are so cleverly illustrated by Charles Schultz in It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And the words are holy and broken. Holy and broken. By broken, I mean no longer whole. In pieces. Out of order. Not in working condition. Promises not kept. Destroyed by adversity, grief, or misfortune. To be broken is to split apart like in a divorce or a separation or a desertion. To be broken is to be incomplete, like having 11 out of 12 Encyclopedia Britannicas. To be disorganized, lacking order and harmony. Broken. Broken. This is the state of our world. And it's the state of all creation. Broken. That's what every person is. But what God has offered through Jesus Christ is a chance to be holy, to be whole, to be put in order, to have promises kept, to resurrect what gets destroyed, to join what becomes split apart, to complete what is incomplete, to organize that which is disorganized. Through Jesus Christ, the world has an opportunity to recognize its brokenness and to move toward the wholeness that will one day define the new heaven and the new earth when God completes his redemption story. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are the holy broken. 
I know somebody else wanted to say Penn State. We are the holy broken. To be holy is to belong to God by being set apart by God and devoted in service to God. To acknowledge our brokenness is simply to acknowledge our humanity. See, not a one of us is perfect. Every relationship difficulty we have is directly attributable to our mutual brokenness. When we recognize that we are flawed, we bring humility into our relationships with others that can help us become whole in Jesus Christ. But that's going to require a shift in thinking and how we think about community. You see, our world is driven by consumer culture. Our world is driven by consumer culture. See, each day we go out into the world and we are treated as a customer. And that leads us to believe we're entitled to anything we want. Now, I had a drill instructor in the Marine Corps who was fond of saying, this isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way right away. Well, that little nugget of Marine Corps wisdom also applies to our community as well. See, the good and beautiful community is not a consumer community. As Rick Warren said in The Purpose Driven Life, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about us and our walk together with Jesus. See, God's good and beautiful community, it exists to shape our soul because our soul is what goes on after our body dies. So the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, that sets us apart, that gives us a new position with God, and that makes us look strange and peculiar to other people the longer we walk with Jesus. That's why we need a good and a beautiful community which will support us in our mutual holy brokenness. We need a place where we can learn the faith practices with which we've been graced in Jesus Christ so that neither our holiness nor our brokenness will be a stumbling block for those who might respond to the invitation of Jesus. So how do we live as the holy broken? How do we live as the holy broken? Three things I'm going to talk about. One, get dressed. Sounds obvious, but you know. Two, hang out together. And three, express thanksgiving. Get dressed, hang out together, and express thanksgiving. So first up, the Apostle Paul tells us to get dressed. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I don't know about you, but it has in fact been my observation over the years that in most cases, we do not leave our homes naked. Right? I mean, unless you're looking to get arrested, you, you put on some clothes before you go out the house. Correct? Paul reminds the church at Colossae something very basic. He reminds the church at the Calvary uh, the same that our relationships now require us to get dressed in Holy Ghost clothes. Things like compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. These are good things to put on. Now these, these brand new clothes, they might feel itchy at times. And sometimes we might feel like putting on our old broken down clothes. 
So let's just quickly compare the two. Our Holy Ghost clothes versus our old broken down clothes. Our Holy Ghost clothes are things like compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And our old broken down clothes, those are things like coldness and cruelty, arrogance, harshness, and irritation. Our old broken down clothes were once so comfortable, weren't they? If we were only broken, then our our old clothes would still be a perfect fit. But now we are the holy broken. God's given us a new set of clothes. So we're going to need to wear compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience if we're going to bear with each other. And that's why Paul continues writing bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now in our life together as the holy broken, we're going to be tempted, often by each other's actions, to take off our holy clothes and put back on them old broken down clothes. But the word translated here is bear in the Greek. It means to endure, to put up with, to practice patience with. Don't you love the fact that patience is is a practice? It's going to free you. I promise you. If you will start thinking of patience as a practice, it will free you from feeling guilty about the fact that you ain't got no patience. Right? Because it's something you got to practice. Which means you're going to grow better and better at it the longer you practice. Notice that Paul's words here don't instruct the person who's causing the grievance to stop grieving everyone else. Isn't that annoying? Why didn't that person change? Well, because sometimes we're just going to walk in wearing our old clothes, aren't we? Sometimes we're going to walk in and say something cruel. Sometimes we're going to walk in and behave arrogantly. Sometimes we're just going to be so irritated, we're just hard to be around. But when we choose to bear with each other, we're choosing to wear our new clothes, even if others don't choose to wear them. That's why Paul writes, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now sometimes, and hang with me here, I know, but sometimes the word for sacrificial love is a verb. But in this case, it's a noun, and it's an important one, friends. Sacrificial love is the noun. It's the object. It Listen, it is the one indispensable piece of clothing without which we cannot live. Sacrificial love is like our, it's like our parka, in the winter, our shorts in the summer, our rain jacket in the spring, our sweater in the fall, and our University of Tennessee gear at all times. <laughs> Sacrificial love is, is Jesus in me being Jesus to you and all of us being Jesus to those who don't know him. The Holy Ghost, he calls us to get dressed in his clothes and to stay dressed in his clothes so that we can hang out together. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Now, you may not know this about the Apostle Paul, but every single one of his letters, he talks about peace in every one. He's got a call for peace. And perhaps, listen, perhaps that's because Paul understood intimately what it meant to not be at peace. And so if you're struggling today with peace in your life, keep listening about Paul because it's important. 
See, Paul, he wasn't always dressed in holy clothes. One time he was Saul. He was a broken, zealous, violent Pharisee who hated himself. He hated Jesus. He hated all Christians. But when Paul was saved on that road to Damascus, he became a person who was wholly broken. And the peace that Jesus promised, a peace that surpasses all understanding, that, that filled Paul's heart and began making him new. But that didn't happen all at once. Praise be to God, that doesn't happen all at once. It happened over the course of many years for Paul. When Paul became a follower of Jesus, the holy broken wanted nothing to do with him. Are you kidding? Saul, he's a terrorist. That's what they said. Then he started putting on the clothes of Christ and the holy broken. They struggled, but they made it. They hung out with him. They endured Paul by, by showing him compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because they hung out with Paul and he with they, it was them together, that community, and it changed the world. And Paul, listen, Paul brought the peace of Christ to almost every region of the Roman Empire before he was executed for his death. It is the peace of Christ that unites us, not just as individuals in a relationship with God, but as a good and a beautiful community. And it is the word of Christ, Jesus himself, that centers our community and utilizes our brokenness to shape each other. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with gratitude in your heart. See, we cannot live in the freedom of being both holy and broken without the word of Jesus deeply rooted in us. See, without Jesus, we're going to judge one another as though brokenness of some of our brothers and sisters is worse than our own. <laughs> and it's not. The wisdom of Jesus recognizes that all people are equally broken and in need of teaching and admonishment. This is why community is so important. See, I can't be a Christian by myself. And neither can you. For example, when you seek advice, do you ask yourself? Or do you ask someone else? Self, I'd like my advice. Are you going to be honest with yourself, though? See, admonishment is advice from someone else who's living in the same tension of being wholly broken as you are. Our entire community is formed around God teaching us and we admonishing each other based upon what God is teaching us. According to one of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred by Adolf Hitler during World War II, he said the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is short. Bottom line, friends, Christians need each other. We need to hang out together, not just for admonishment, but also encouragement. We need to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We need to, we need to sing. Because when we sing, we express the reality of the kingdom of God that spoken words can't always convey. You see, singing frees the heart from the captivity of speech. Our soul 
souls, our holy broken souls. They, they groan and they yearn for the completion of God's kingdom in ways that words just can't always express. Now, I know at least one of you here today instantly changed out of your Holy Ghost clothes when I started talking about the importance of singing. I know it. He's not going to ask me to sing, is he? You probably thought something like, easy for you to say, Randy. You're a trained singer, right? And some others may have thought, well, I just can't sing. How am I supposed to sing when I can't even carry a tune in a bucket? I promise you have a song. I promise you that Jesus in you wants you to make yourself vulnerable enough to open your mouth and try singing the hymns and the songs of worship because they are His songs and they are our songs. Moreover, the words and the tunes of hymns, listen, they get written into the fabric of our souls in a manner that the written and the spoken word never will. This is what I call divine design. God has, God has made the voice to sing because it writes it on our hearts, right? For example, fill in the hymn. Amazing grace. You may not be able to quote a single Bible verse, but I guarantee you in God's name, that's already written on your heart. Why people that don't even know Jesus know this. Why? Oh, because there's power in the sung word. That's why. Singing's not limited to time spent in community. That's why at the end of every graveside service, when I know there's going to be people that believe and people that don't and people that belong to different faiths and people that belong to no faith at all and people just believe nothing at all. It doesn't matter. At the end of every graveside service, when, we're at, when, when their loved one is being prepared to go into the ground, we sing that hymn. And you know what? Everyone knows the words of that hymn. Everyone knows the tune of that hymn. Words and music together in song are powerful. That's why we sing. Time spent in community, this rehearses the song of Jesus Christ. It causes his song to be heard with greater clarity when we are together and when we are apart. So how do we live as the holy broken? Well, number one, we got to get dressed in our new Holy Ghost clothes. Number two, we got to hang out together. We got to put up with each other. Oh man, do we have to put up with each other sometimes. We got to teach, advise. We even sing together, right? And lastly, we express our thanksgiving. We express our thanksgiving. Paul writes, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, the Holy Broken recognize that being grateful sets us apart from our old lives. In community, we learn the narrative of being thankful, especially for the little things. But sometimes we forget about the greatest gift that God has given us. And friends, if you haven't heard this before, it's each other. Things like my salvation, my song, my clothes, my peace. That was all given to me by Jesus through his good and beautiful community. 
Now I recognize that my salvation is our salvation. My song, that's our song. My clothes, those are our clothes. And my peace, that's our peace. And I'm so thankful for the good and beautiful community located in every village and borough and town and city all over the south and in the north and every other place in between. Because each one has taught and admonished me. Each one has helped me discover a deeper holiness amid my brokenness. Each one has graced me with a community of the holy broken who have forever shaped and changed the song of Jesus Christ in me. And that includes you, Calvary. We are the holy broken. So let's, let's continue getting dressed in our Holy Ghost clothes. Let's continue hanging out together. Let's continue giving thanks for all that God has done for us individually and corporately. And let's be bound together in cords that cannot be broken. Those are the cords of the love of Jesus Christ. And lastly, let's invite others to experience with us a community that's countercultural, not driven by consumerism but driven by the love of Jesus found in his good and beautiful community. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.